I was deeply convicted in my own life. Do I give the credit of every good thing in my life to my Father above? Do you know how much Satan comes against that in our thoughts? Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light. If you and I believe this every day, and every thought is taken captive to the obedience of this word, we'll never be proud about anything. We'll have nothing left to boast of. What can you boast of? Instead, we'll say, as John the Baptist did in John, the Gospel of John. Notice what John the Baptist said when people came to ask him who he was. He said in John chapter 1, Let me find it here. He said these, these powerful words that no man can do anything except he be given to him from above. And I just need to find the verse. If someone finds it, you can share it with me. My mind just went there uh, as I was reading this to you. Perhaps in verse uh, 25. Well, I'm not, I'm not seeing it. But John the Baptist made that wonderful comment when the people were asking him, and you can find it in your Bibles if you have the time. John lived in that reality. And that's why he was willing to give Christ the recognition the first time that Jesus showed up as he was preaching, John stops preaching. Just think about this. I'm here sharing, and all of a sudden I stop. And I say, hey, everyone, look, there's John. He's the guy that'll take your sins away. That's what he said. He was there preaching, and great crowds were coming. And John stops, and he goes, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He points out Jesus immediately. The reason is because he recognized in his heart and he lived in his life, in his thoughts, that he was a forerunner to point people to Jesus Christ. And the Lord really spoke strongly to my heart and said, Phil, that's the purpose and mission of your life. Is that... Pointing people to Jesus Christ. Pointing people to believing that everything that I have and that I am in life comes down from the Father of lights. Every gift you have. Do you do that in your workplace, brother, sister? Do you think of the things that you own as a gift from your Father above? If we truly do, 
then Hebrews 13 will become a reality in our life. We'll be content with the things we have. And even though we ask him, we'll, we'll, we won't stress out or worry or be pursuing money, as Paul warns us in Timothy. Don't pursue money, but pursue righteousness, peace, and love that come from the Father of lights. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, God exercising his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. I realize that there are four places in the scripture, four prominent places where he warns us about deception. And I like to look at this. This is one. And I realize that I can easily be deceived in this area of my life. And Satan, through my own thoughts, through the attractions of the world, is working actively so that you and I, so God's people today, from their hearts, don't give God the credit for who they are and what they have. Instead, someone asks you about anything in your life. Maybe it's even your testimony of Jesus Christ. What do you say? Well, I've read the Bible. Do you give even any kind of credit or in your heart, perhaps even things you won't express? Do you give yourself the credit for the spiritual life you have, for how you raised your family, for the job you've created for yourself? Is there any credit that you give yourself or do you really from your heart every day believe this? Every good thing has been given to me as a gift from my father. That's a great deception. And that will lead us from really living in a truly thankful heart, being able to express our thanksgiving and giving that praise with thanksgiving to God every day. If I believe that every good thing comes from God, my father. The next one is in Ephesians chapter 5, where he warns us, let no one deceive you. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because these things, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. What things is he talking about? Let's back up a bit. Verse 3, but do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you. Or that word greed is the word covetousness, to desire other things that you don't have. Even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather look at what is to be flowing out from our mouth? Is it giving us thanks? For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
Let no one deceive you. Do you know, brothers and sisters, we're living in a Christianity where many are deceived on this point. They do not believe that God's anger and wrath will come out upon these people. Rather, they believe that God is just all mercy. But no, it's true. God's anger and his wrath will come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. But continue on reading there. For you were formerly darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Verse 8, walk as children of light. Notice what it does to me when I believe that God's anger will come upon my disobedience. If you don't believe that, you and I can easily stray. And when God disciplines us, we'll say it's not fair. God, you're too hard. You're a tough dad to please. We'll have the attitude of the servant in the parable of the talents who was given one. And he hid it because he said to God, you're a hard man to please. But if we see that God's wrath actually does come and we believe that, it won't discourage us. It will encourage us with the fear of the Lord in our hearts to walk in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That'll be my occupation. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. Meaning my life becomes a light to the world. And that's what Jesus said. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. For it is disgraceful to even speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, hey, wake up. Are you sleeping? Do you ever hear God's voice speak that way to you? We do that almost every morning with our boys. Come on, boys, time to wake up. You hear your father's voice speaking that into your spirit? Hey, son, daughter, wake up. There are areas in our lives that may still be asleep. May not have been waken up, alerted, yet in a way that God wants to speak to us, like he did with Samuel. Samuel wasn't living in sin. He was a child. And when he heard God's voice, Samuel, Samuel, it changed his life for only one reason. He actually woke up. He allowed that voice to wake up his, himself and he answered. And there that night, God spoke to him and revealed to him the sin that was in the temple that he was living in. I don't know if Samuel knew it up to that point, what Eli's sons were doing and the horrible sin of disobedience. They were living, defiling God's very temple in his tabernacle. But that night he found out for only one reason. When he heard God say, Samuel, Samuel. He answered, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And there is when God gave him a revelation, not only of the sin, but told him what he will do about it. And it brought the fear of God into Samuel's life that never left him. And because of that 
posture of his heart and the fear that he now had the reverence for God, God was able to use him mightily all the days of his life to minister to Israel and actually deliver them from the ministry of Eli and his sons. Awake, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, you're now awake. Christ is shining on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. That's exactly what Samuel found out. He realized he was walking in an evil time in Israel. If you go back to Samuel, 1 Samuel, and you read the story, it tells us that in those days, the voice of God was heard rarely. Very few prophets were in Israel those days. And God's people simply didn't hear God's voice. And because of that, the people were enslaved to the Philistines. They were brought into bondage, not only to the Philistines, but even to sin among themselves. They were slaves of sin. But through the voice of God and one young man responding to that voice, not only was the temple set free, God's people were set free from becoming slaves to sin. And this was fulfilled. Samuel began to make the most of his time. And God honored Samuel's listening ear. You know what God did with Samuel's words? He said, not one of your words will fall to the ground, Samuel. That means when you speak now, Samuel, because you listen to me, when you speak, I will make sure that your words are full of power, the power and the anointing of my own spirit. And that's how they ministered to Israel. And the atmosphere in the temple changed radically. Eli died. His sons died. And the ark was carried into captivity into the land of the Philistines. Now here was Samuel. No ark around. The people were, had many had been killed through that battle. Their leaders had all been killed. What was he to do? Left alone without the ark. You know what he did? He spoke the words of God that he heard. And Israel was ministered, was revived, not through the presence of a physical ark, but through the presence of God in the life of a young man. So then, verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, or that Greek word is actually rioting. That's very different. A person who is involved in rioting, think about that. A person who's involved in rioting versus a person who's filled with the Spirit, who has been awakened from sleep. Why do people riot? What do you think people riot all over the world in all kinds of countries? There are riots that happen. Not only because they're drunk with wine. Why do you think they, they riot? 
Because their spirit rises up within them, perhaps against their government, perhaps even in celebration. You can read about riots that happen when their favorite team wins the Super Bowl, right? They start burning tires and throwing over cars and just a lawless spirit that gets so excited, but it's not controlled. And I realized this warning is for me, not for the kids out on the street. In my heart, I become a rioter unless I'm filled with the spirit, unless I'm woken up from sleep and I hear God's voice as Samuel did. I become in my spirit a rioter. A riot bursts out in my heart. All kinds of thoughts come go through my mind that are not controlled by the Holy Spirit. And you know what I lose? The will of God. The wisdom of God. I become foolish and I lose an understanding of what the will of God is for me at this moment. But be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody with your heart to the lord always giving thanks for all things always giving thanks sometimes when things go well nope always giving thanks for all things does heaven say amen to that over your life when god Brings the angels of heaven to attention to your life. As he did to Job's life, even Satan's attention. Hey, Satan, where are you coming from? Oh, I've just been roaming through the earth. Well, in your roamings, God asked him, have you noticed my servant Job? See, I think God still does this. God brings attention to his children's lives. He pays attention, but he also brings attention to our lives. And I believe that when God sees a man or a woman like this, he brings heaven's attention to your life. And he says, have you noticed that they give thanks always for all things? Hey, Satan, have you noticed Ruthie never gets discouraged? You can't depress her. Have you noticed how Jason gets up every morning and you can't take the song out of his heart. It doesn't matter what you give these people, what experience you bring them, you can't make them complain against me or blame me foolishly. That's what he did to Job. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. This was the testimony I'm going through a, a, a really challenging teaching by Ray Vanderlane. I can't wait to share that with you. But he goes through, he's going through the early church now, the first 100 years after the Holy Spirit came down on the earth. These Christians lived in a provocative Greek culture that hated God and demanded you worship their gods. They had many gods. The Romans and the Greeks did. And if you and I lived, the Christians who lived in these smaller cities of, you know, a few thousand people. The one I was watching last night. 
he took us to a town where if you wanted to buy and sell in the marketplace, the first thing you had to do as a merchant was come and see the guy who ran the marketplace. And he had an altar built there as he sat on the seat of the marketplace. And if you were to go to come and buy and sell, he would tell you, welcome, but you must first give a little incense to this God over here. And then you can buy and sell here. And if you as a Christian were to say, no, I can't do that. What? You don't worship our God? You're going to make our God angry. Out of here. And he would start proclaiming in the marketplace, this person won't worship our God. And you were chased out of town. This was a real life experience for our brothers and sisters. It still is in many parts of the world in more subtle ways. What would you do? Would you say, oh, well, that idol's nothing. I got to live and make a living for my family. I'll put a little incense on it. God, you understand. Or would you say, no, I believe in Jesus Christ. I have, I serve the God of heaven and earth and preach the gospel to that man. Those brothers and sisters preached the gospel. And yes, they were chased out of many towns. And that's why Hebrews refers to them as strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They understood what the will of the Lord was. But here's the challenging thing. They did so with thanksgiving. They considered it. That every this good and perfect gift of salvation came from my Father in heaven. And so with thankful hearts, they endured the persecution. And he gives stories after stories of what happened and how thankful those early Christians were, filled with joy while they suffered greatly physically. And then I realized, maybe I'm deceived. We live in a culture where God's blessing is considered by that which you see and get. More money, God blessed you that day. More riches, God's blessing. Everything going well, you know, just everything goes my way that day. Everything goes just, you know, splendid. It feels right. I'm being blessed. Are you really? Is that how you consider God's blessings? Or what are those? What is that one perfect gift that God has given to you and I? That you can thank Him for always in everything. Will you consider that gift to be the most precious thing in your life? The gift of of salvation, your sins being forgiven, the gift of you being delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and being translated into the kingdom of you, of his marvelous son, the gift of being chased out of town, refused to do having your things sold that day and you go home to your family and you don't have any money that day. That was a gift. Christ had given them. 
and they were able to go home and thank God for it. The gift of salvation. Do not be deceived. With empty words. In Ephesians chapter 1, he tells us that we, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And if you continue to read through that chapter, he tells you what those blessings all look like. And I realized, I'll be honest with you, brothers and sisters, there has been a deception in my heart. I did consider God's blessing on my life, everything going well, or else I would never complain about it. I would be grateful for it in everything. I would find a grateful heart in me because I'm taken up with this one perfect, precious gift that I am adopted into God's family and that I have a father in heaven who has no variation or shadow of turning in his purpose towards me. He's redeemed me for a purpose and he doesn't change in that pursuit and purpose of his love over my life. You believe that, you won't be deceived. Galatians chapter 6 is the next one where he warns us, do not be deceived. And again, I think that so often in looking at my own life, I can, I can easily be deceived in this area. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Do you believe that? Or do some actions, some words that you speak or some things you do mock God? And when I began to really look at this in my life, I realized, wait, God, I would never mock you openly with words. But that's not the context here. He's not saying you'll mock God openly with words. This is how you mock God. Do not be deceived, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. How many things have you ever done in your life where you had a twinge of conviction? You knew, don't say that. Or, don't look at that. Don't look at that movie. Or, don't do this right now. It's just, the Holy Spirit just puts a check in your heart. And you, you don't feel comfortable with it. But you just go ahead and do it anyway. Oh well. I, I'll, I'll do something to make up for it. God is not mocked. You sow, you reap. And yet, we're so easily fooled. We fooled ourselves. I have many times fooled myself by thinking, oh, well, it, somehow I'll repair it. Or somehow, and I go ahead and I do it anyway. I say it anyway. And the Lord has really, really spoke strongly to me 
in these words is Phil. Don't be deceived. The truth is, I am not mocked. It will happen. What you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from. What you sow to your flesh, you will reap corruption. And you're not going to change it. So, knowing this, this is what he says in verse 9. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And isn't that exactly where Satan wants to bring in discouragement in our lives? We sow, we sow, we sow. And yet, we don't seem to reap the physical blessings out of it. You might sow into people's lives. Maybe you sow, you know, care and doing good in someone and, and you, don't, you don't see the results. Are you willing to wait for eternity to sow all this life and let another reap? Jesus said, you have entered into other men's labors. They have labored and now you reap. And the Lord asked me that question. Are you willing to keep sowing and allow the next generation to reap? Are you willing to do that all your life? To be a sower of the word. And I realize there's only one thing that will keep encouraging me. And that is if I believe with my whole heart that God is not mocked. That what I sow, I will reap. Then you will never be discouraged. You'll continue to sow and sow and sow. But there's also another thing. I must be willing to be like Samuel. Samuel, throughout his life, continued to sow and sow in Israel because of this one thing. He heard the voice of God. And then he spoke what he heard. And Jesus said in the parable of the sower, when a sower went forth, he ends that parable by saying, Blessed is the man who hears the word and does. That's the man who reaps fruit in their life. Have you sowed to yourself the word of God? And yet, after perhaps many years, you still see that you're imperfect. You're still not where you want to be. Changed in certain areas in your life to the perfection you want to be. I have. And at times you, may, you might look at your own life, you might look at yourself and say, when will I ever learn? The truth is, keep sowing the word of Christ into your heart and into your mind. You will reap one day. And perhaps the most unexpected ways. But Satan knows effectively what is effective in us. If he can cause the reaping, for us not to see the reaping, he can soon discourage the sower. And when you see that you're not perfect, it's quite easy then to just lay your Bible on the shelf and go about your business, right? I have to make money. I have to keep on going. Just get busy with life. Or watch the movies or play the games. Fill your life with other things because I've been reading the Bible for so many years and I'm still not perfect. 
continue sowing. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. What a man sows, he will reap. The next one, warning of deception, comes to us in 2 Thessalonians. In a way that is very instructive as I look at the culture that we live in today. The culture that you and I live in. As I'm watching these videos from Ray Vanderland and I'm, you know, being reminded of the culture that our brothers and sisters lived in in the first century of the Christian church. I realize we live in much the same culture. What does my life look like in this culture? What is it? What am I doing with the life I've been given? In chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, in verse 7, he tells us, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. I'm actually going to um, look at verse 3 of chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. For Now verse 7, For the mystery of lawlessness, lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in one accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved." And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they may be judged who do not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. But we should always, what to do? What is the opposite? What is our antidote to being deceived here? But we always Give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by the word of mouth or by letter. And the Lord spoke strongly to me. The other guard that you can put in your life from being deceived is don't be carried away with the lawless spirit that is in our world today, a spirit that has no respect for the law and easily expresses it or easily is carried away with a a, a, let's see what I can get away with against the law of the land. Or more importantly, the law of God in your life. And the difference is, if I immerse myself into a giving of thanks for my brothers and sisters in my life, 
it will guard me. If I, like Paul said, give thanks to God for you, brethren, and I look at this great salvation, the gospel that saves us, and I hold fast to this word traditions sometimes can be a stumbling block. It simply means the things that God has already done in your life. Hold fast to them. Don't let go of those things that the Holy Spirit, the truth that he has revealed to you. Because the spirit of lawlessness is like, a, is like an erosion. It comes against your life, comes against your life, and comes against your life. And he wants to slowly just take a little here and a little there away out of our lives from the things that the Holy Spirit is teaching us. The things that he has taught you in the past. And I find that when I grow in Christ, it's easily done in my life. Because the Holy Spirit's speaking for you to change. And then I can so easily just let everything wash away from my life instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to choose those things and allow some things him to clean my life and let things go, but not the things that he has been speaking into my life. Watch out for the spirit of lawlessness. Grow in that. Those things that Christ has already done in your life and stand firm in that. And have an attitude of thanksgiving for God's family in your life. And then in 1 John chapter 4 is the fourth one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you shall know. The spirit of God in every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming. And now it is already in the world. You're from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Never lose that greatness. And you will not be deceived by anyone. No man will be greater than he who lives in you. And that will keep you from being deceived by a false prophet. Because you know how a false prophet gets us deceived? Through impression of greatness. You begin to esteem him as great as eloquent, as greater in the word than you, as someone who, who has more knowledge, who is somehow greater than the Holy Spirit within you. And that's how he leads us astray. Because when we are impressed by men, we don't test them. Impression just washes over us like a wave. And we just kind of like, wow. We're so impressed. We're impressed by how they say things, maybe how articulate they are, how much knowledge they have, how much money they have, how many people come to listen to them. We're impressed by their greatness. And he's warning us, greater is he that is in you than anyone else in the world. Test them, every spirit. But also this, be careful how you judge others. 
if they confess Jesus Christ and they exalt Jesus Christ as king, as one who has come in the flesh, though you may differ with them, be very slow to call anyone an antichrist. And the Lord has kind of set that really clear in my own heart. Here's the parameter I've given. Don't make any other parameter. Because I see in my life, it's also quite easy when I was impressed and all of a sudden I become unimpressed. That impression is evaporated from my life. You know what I want to do with those people? Trash them, right? I want to trash everything they've ever said. I want to trash that, all of that impression that I was taken up with. I want to chuck it out and throw it in the trash can. Even if they are preaching Jesus Christ. And I say, oh, can any good thing come from them? Test them with the test that the Lord has given us to test. And only with that test. And the Holy Spirit will keep us from the spirit of lawlessness and reaction. And we will be guided with the one who is within us. That greater one becomes greater and greater in our lives. And that's how we become led by the Spirit instead of being reactionary from experiences. So I just want to encourage you with those words, brothers and sisters. Do not be deceived. And there is a way. God has given to us the Holy Spirit. And if you and I are hear His voice like Samuel did, even in Israel's darkest days, Samuel was a beacon of hope and light. And now Jesus said, you're the light of the world. In your dark world, go be a light. I'll set you on a candlestick that it will give light to all who are in your house, all who are in your life. God bless you.